Good Reading Podcast is brought to you by Read, the monthly book subscription that pairs a new release book with a pampering gift delivered to your door. There are new books every month and nine genres to choose from. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Read subscription today? Visit luxury.com.au to find out how. Due to unforeseen circumstances, Miss Gardner will not be performing this evening. The role of Madame Butterfly will be played by Miss Sophie Carlton. I am standing in the wings and I hear the collective sigh, then the loud titters of disappointment from the audience. My heart sinks. When the curtain rises, Amando is, as directed, already on stage with the tenor who plays Goro, the marriage broker. I put my hands inside the wide sleeves of the kimono, rubbing the goosebumps off my skin. I'm not alone, however, far from it. Oscar is back here, as promised, and I'm standing only a little in front of the singers who play Madama Butterfly's friends. They are crammed so tightly together, I can smell them. Janet is right behind me. I feel her lean close to my ear. Toy, 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 Soph, she whispers. She grips my hand briefly and squeezes my fingers in encouragement. Thank you, I whisper back. I run through the opening bars of my entrance music over and over in my head. What will happen if I miss my cue? What if I open my mouth and no sound comes out? Too late to think of it now. Far too late for negative thoughts. Julie Bennett, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So you performed as a child extra in the Australia Opera Company's 1973 production of Prokofiev's War and Peace. Tell me about your own experience of that time. Well, you know, I was 11 years old and I think I turned 12 at the end of the year. And, um, you know, as a, as a child, you, <laughs> you don't understand quite how dramatic that moment in time was. It's only on reflection that I realised how amazing, what an amazing experience that was. And we'd been given these stage directions and I, and I thought, and it was all about being part of the scene, you know, getting involved in the scene and just being in that world but then I saw, I saw footage of myself because the Australian Opera, uh, Opera Australia put it up recently and I was able to have a look at it. And there I am looking around the set, looking overhead at the lights, looking out at the audience, and I wasn't half as cool, calm and collective as I thought I was. But it was still magic. It was absolute magic. So I looked out at the audience and I could see, I thought I wouldn't be able to see anyone and I could see sort of three or four rows back and there was ladies in, in gorgeous gowns and glittering jewels and all this. And it, it kind of, I knew that it had the capacity to completely freak me out. So I thought, I think I'll just get involved in this world on stage. And once you do that, it takes over and it is absolutely magic. And that particular night, the first night, um, when on the first opera performed in, in the Sydney Opera House, it, the curtains closed and there was such an atmosphere behind the closed curtains. You know, people were hugging each other and kissing each other and, you know, there was such a joyous behind-the-scenes moment and that's what stayed with me for a long, long time. And I just absolutely loved it. It was magic. And the other thing that was really fascinating was being in the Opera House as the Opera House was born, you know, coming to life. And I remember standing at the green room window and looking out at the harbour. And, and that's those moments like that where you go, wow. But all the time I was trying to be very cool, of course. The understudy is a love story in every sense of the word, love in all its forms. 
uh, yes, also the love so. of opera, of yeah. Sydney, of the Sydney Opera House, yeah. and also for Sydney of the 1970s. Are these the things you wanted to celebrate? I was born in New Zealand, so Australia's my adopted home. And I fell in love with Sydney. I just, you know, when you when you leave a country, even as a child, you know, it's a it's a difficult thing to do. You know, you leave your home and your family and your friends. But when I walked to the opera house, I with my dad, you know, I felt like that was my house and that was my home. And I understand that it's not my house or my home, but as a child, it felt like, you know, this is where I belong. And I'm now very fond of saying there is no other city in the world as beautiful as Sydney. And I've been to a few cities. I haven't been all the way around the world, but I firmly believe that. And I know I'm incredibly biased, but it's spectacular. You know, the the waterways and the sunshine and the people. And I love Australia and I love Sydney. So, yes, I think maybe that was the first thing I actually wanted to celebrate, the city of Sydney and how beautiful it is and the country of Australia, you know, the Australians are wonderful and they celebrate life. I think Australians celebrate life and that's fantastic. The Sydney Opera House has such a special memory for me and the smell of it is, I mean, it's sensational to look at and inside and out, but it's um, its the smell of it for me. I, I walk through that vehicle concourse and that smell will remind me of opera and my time, you know, there forever. That, that medley of salt and sea and concrete and earth. It's just, for me, it's just as elemental as rain. It's the most amazing smell that conjures up all of that. And the musical pulse of the understudy is mm. Puccini's Madama Butterfly. Yes. One of the most famous operas in the whole operatic repertoire. Mm. Yes. Why this opera? Why not Prokofiev's <laughs> War and Peace, which was the first production, or even Larry Sitsky's The Fall of the House of Usher? Mm. Why Madama Butterfly? I didn't actually set out to choose any particular opera because if you ask me what my favourite opera is, I cannot possibly choose. I didn't choose Madame a Butterfly on purpose. It kind of chose me. Puccini's music for me is just exquisite. It's exquisite music. And, of course, the more I wrote, the more into it I got and the more beautiful it was. I also wanted to choose an opera that I thought an understudy could um, reasonably perform at very short notice. And I wanted to choose an opera that had as its central character the woman. The understudy is about a dream that suddenly comes true for Sophie Carlton, the understudy herself. Sophie is a very determined young woman. She became more and more determined as, as I wrote more and more drafts. Sophie wants to be an international opera star and there's nothing else she wants more than that. And she will do almost anything within limits, certain limits, to get what she wants. What would Sophie do to to succeed at the level that she wants? And she will do almost anything and she's going to use her wit and charms as much as she's going to use every professional trick she she can do. And I think Sophie does have a conscience and I think that's revealed. Um... But she's so single-minded that she she uses whatever comes her way to her greatest advantage. This is the moment where I think I want to refer to the Italian soap scene, but (laughs) we better leave that for the reader, I think. It's a bit saucy. That gives a whole new meaning to the phrase soap opera. (laughs) Some of your characters are absolute archetypes of the opera world, especially the Italian tenor Armando Cecchi and Mm -hmm. the prima donna soprano Margaret Gardner. Yes. Tell me about those characters and 
Is the archetype very far from the truth? First of all, I love Italian tenors. I think they're brilliant. Um, and, you know, I think at one stage I described um, Armando is at a piano rehearsal and he sings an aria and the whole cast is just, in all, you know, and some tenors have that capacity to inspire awe in people, even the most um, accomplished musicians and performers. It's um, it sends shivers down your spine. And I actually, I mean, one of the fantastic things about writing this book is I've had lots of conversations with my dad who is, yay, he's still here to discuss things with me. And he goes, you know, I go, Dad, what is that? What is that? You know, that's, and he goes, you just have to understand some people are musical geniuses. That's the only thing you can understand. And I think a lot of Italian tenors are. And I think I, I've met some Italian tenors quite a lot. Um, they're charming and they're talented and they're so short answers probably no. And as if they don't, you know, they're not far from those, from what, how I've portrayed them. And uh, as for Margaret, you can't say they're all like Margaret. She's a little bit pompous and a little self-important and um no my experience of the women you know the sopranos that I've met have been lovely and warm and and um for example I met Joan Sutherland as a child and she was just so wonderful and so you know friendly and warm to me as a as a child that you know it's a very dramatic profession you know some um, artists invest you know themselves into their roles and it's very demanding in that way. Opera is all about illusion. And I wonder sometimes if the illusion becomes the reality, if life and opera somehow become one and the same. It certainly seems that way in the understudy. What would it be like, do you think, if everybody was able to live out their operatic roles? I was, I was actually thinking about this um, recently because opera or operetta and music and singing has been a part of my life, my entire life. And... Um, as a child, it was very interesting to sit, go and see. I saw my first operetta. My um, dad was in an operetta by Franz Leher called Land of Smiles, and I just fell in love with it. You know, it was just, for me, so magic. But I had this thing in my head that that was the world, you know, that, that things like that went on in the world, that this was how the world of adults would play out, you know, that it would be very dramatic and and it's only really recently I, I realised that that is not everyone's experience. <laughs> you know, um, other people have experiences that are not quite so dramatic. So there is an element of drama in the lives of performers, I think, for sure. You know, I think they look at life a little differently. It's about peaks and troughs and highs and lows. And, and you know, it's psyching yourself up to go on stage and perform at a, you know, at such a level is demanding. So... Yes, it's it's emotional. So our characters, um, you know, our people who play these operatic characters a little bit like that, I would say in my experience, a little bit, yeah, yeah. I've just got one more question for you, and it's about the Opera House. And yes. in a sense, you've been there since the beginning of it. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's been dubbed one of the greatest buildings of the 20th century. But, and that uh, is correct. Of, of course. <laughs> but the construction was plagued by problems, over overruns and, and changes in the design, um, to the point that the architect, uh, Jorn Utzen, Mm. dubbed it, and I found this somewhere, Malice in Blunderland. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed, he did. <laughs> Have we um, gotten over that? Have we gotten over our cultural cringe? And as what part has the Sydney Opera House played in that? 
Um, I think, you know, reading the history of the Opera House and how it was constructed and everything, and, you know, the newspaper reports of the 50s and 60s and calling it, you know, $20 million black or white elephant or whatever it was and being very disparaging about the Opera House and how much money it was taken and how much trouble was associated with it. And then when it was um, finally finished and people started traipsing through it and, you know, there was there was still stuff in the corridors and people getting lost and, and so on and so forth. And people were going like, oh, my God, this is just embarrassing. But from one account I read of it was the moment it opened, the moment it was officially opened by the Queen, we got over ourselves and we said, wow. Julie, it's been wonderful talking to you. This is a, a really interesting, exciting and, dare I say, titillating book. <laughs> And thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Greg. It's been great. I've been talking to Julie Bennett about her debut novel, The Understudy. It's published by Simon & Schuster, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading Podcast was brought to you by Luxury Read. Why not spoil yourself? or give the gift of a Luxuryread subscription today. Visit luxuryread.com.au to find out how.